Welcome to this week's episode of the Energy Central Power Perspectives Podcast. In this show, we strive to bring you diverse topics impacting the utility professional today as told by the thought leaders who are shaping the power sector of tomorrow. I'm your host, Jason Price of West Moreau, coming to you from New York City. And with me in Orlando, Florida, is Energy Central's community manager and podcast producer, Matt Chester. Matt, I'm glad we're diving into a number of the most pressing and top-of-mind topics facing utility leaders today. I think today's episode will be no exception. You're right about that, Jason. It's definitely going to be another highlight episode for sure. Fantastic. So let's get started. The energy industry is at a crossroads, but it's not just restricted to utilities themselves. It's the energy consumers and the grid operators and the carbon emitters. We're facing the existential crisis of decarbonizing the economy broadly, and to do so will undoubtedly require complete buy-in to move the technological, regulatory, market-based, and even customer choices where they need to go. This topic is one that can get overwhelming, and without clear direction, it can feel like there's simply too much to tackle. Luckily, the Energy Central community is always bringing together the thought leaders of the day who are shepherding in the needed changes and who can explain to us what needs to happen and where our focus should be. Today on the podcast, we have just such a guest. Joining us in the virtual broadcast booth, all the way from his office in the C-suite of Siemens Energy. But before we introduce him, let's give a big thanks to Siemens Energy for making today's episode possible. Siemens Energy is one of the world's leading energy technology companies. The company works with its customers and partners on energy systems for the future, thus supporting the transition to a more sustainable world. With its portfolio of products, solutions, and services, Siemens Energy covers almost the entire energy value chain power generation and transmission to storage. And with us from Siemens Energy is the VP of the industrial gas turbine business, Hans Holmstrom. Hans has been at the helm of Siemens Energy for just about a decade, having before that spent over 30 years honing his knowledge of grid technology and the utility sector at ABB. Hans is a recognized leader in the energy technology space across the globe, and we couldn't be more honored to have him on the podcast today. And he's no doubt a busy man, given the range of topics he's charged with solving. So let's get started. Hans Holmstrom, welcome to today's episode of Energy Central's Power Perspectives Podcast. Many thanks for that. I'm honored to be here. Hans, you spent a lot of time in the north of Sweden, close to nature, and surrounded by plenty of hydropower. Does that influence how you see the energy business? Yeah, it certainly does. Uh, I think I learned very early in my career that all countries and regions are different. There is no one size uh, energy solution that fits all. And uh, the other thing I've learned is that hydropower is a wet dream, as it were, for many people in the power sector. It has a lot of very good aspects to it. For instance, you can start and stop it at very short notice. That's uh, what I've learned very early in my career. The other thing, of course, if you look at the country of Sweden, it's very long. It's a little bit like California. And all the power in the old days used to be generated up north, but all the loads and all the people were down south. So a lot of power lines are crossing the country from north to south. And of course, that is not optimal, especially in today's day and age. You don't want to have unnecessary losses in the transmission network. And also, if you want to build new transmission lines, it takes a long permitting process. And in some cases, it's not even possible to build new transmission lines. And uh, especially now when we see a rapid growth of solar power and, and wind power, It puts totally different aspects and challenges to how we build our grids in all regions of the world, actually. 
So Hans, before we dive too far deep into the conversation, give us a sort of an overview of the power sector from your perspective, what it's like perspective from Sweden. Yeah, sure. I've been in the power industry in different parts of the power industry for quite a few decades now. And I have to say that personally, it's never been so interesting as it is at the moment. I mean, the power industry is the place to be. It's on everybody's agenda. You hear and read about it every day in newspapers and in media. And so many things are happening. And of course, for a lot of industries and for a lot of actors in the power industry, the uncertainty could make you nervous. I think for me personally, it adds a lot of value. I mean, the power industry is the place to be right now for many reasons. The business is really, let's say, booming because of all the changes that we see. But also, I mean, we have an important role to play here. I don't want to put too big words into my, my own mouth, but saving the planet is not a bad thing to work with. Let's talk for a moment about generations, particularly fossil fuels. So gas and oil are dispatchable and flexible. So too is coal and countries and industry rely on this. Since industry looks to companies like Siemens Energy for solutions, and you are pushing a decarbonized future, how do you and your clients work through all this? There are many, many actors in this field, obviously. Although power utilities have a share of about 40% in the global CO2 emissions, we see an increasing speed in decarbonizing also the industrial sector. It's becoming more and more important. Industrial companies know this, and it changes their thinking, and they need to change their focus when it comes to electricity and heat generation. They are picking up pace, and they're doing that not only because of regulatory changes, but also because uh, the public pressure is out there. If they want to sell their goods, if they want to employ good people, they need to show a path towards the future, which is combined with decarbonization. And all of this uh, helps us when we talk to our customers about implementing a decarbonized set of technologies. We don't have to do all the selling. That's done by many other actors in the field, like public opinionists. The challenges is, of course, companies that are early adopters of decarbonized technologies, they see that that is normally a bit more expensive than the traditional energy generation technology. So there needs to be legislation that puts actors in the industrial area on an even field, even playing field. Political leaders have to make that happen. That's their task. Otherwise, you end up with an A team and a B team where the B team is not spending any money on decarbonization and the A team is doing it, but they're doing it at a higher cost, thus losing profit in their operation. It also requires a stepwise approach. We hear a lot in the media and the de debate today that people want to go from the old way of generating electricity and heat to a completely new <clears throat> and perfect way decarbonized. But I claim this needs to be done stepwise. You can't leave all the existing assets as dead assets. They have to be, some of them at least, brought into the future. And we have the technology and ideas to do that. Okay, so the stepwise approach. Maybe you can elaborate on that for our audience. For instance, there are tens of thousands of gas-fired power plants out there with gas turbines in them. Some of them come from Siemens Energy and some of them come from our competitors. They can, at least ours, can be uh, turned into accepting more and more fossil-free fuels like hydrogen and biofuel over time when they become available. And we're not talking about huge investments here. We're talking about smaller changes to the fuel system, of course, but also to the uh, combustion system in the gas terminal. And this is a path that we're trying to show to our customers. 
that they can keep their assets, they can upgrade them, and they can take part in this decarbonization race. Some customers, of course, many have coal-fired power today, and we all know that coal-fired power is among the worst CO2 emitters in the energy land. By turning from coal-fired to firing gas, and maybe even initially natural gas, you open up a path to the future when you can mix the natural gas more and more CO2-free gas, like, again, hydrogen biofuel. I believe that for a long time, there will be rotating equipment dominating the power generation industry. Again, if we can help our customers to bring those assets into the future whilst decarbonizing, I think we're doing a good thing. Well, that's interesting. So tell us more about how your industrial customers are engaging with these ideas. Well, again, as I said before, public opinion and also to a growing extent, the legislation is pushing our industrial customers into this direction. It's actually a big topic for them. And we already start to see some early adopters of, for instance, green steel. Green steel is when you produce steel without emitting too much CO2. We already see, for instance, the auto industry producing cars that are made out of green steel. And they do that because they want to claim a position as a leader in the decarbonized society. Of course, today, the volumes of produced green steel, is very small, but there's already a market out there trying to lay their hands on that little amount of green steel so they can show some early steps in the right direction. And they're doing it, again, for reputational reasons. If you can claim a, a stake at being the, uh, the leader, you can maintain that. It's easier to, to sell your stuff, of course, to a certain part of the public, but also it's easier to hire the right skilled people into your company. So there's a lot of advantages that they're looking for. Now, Hans, you mentioned the steel industry and the automobile industry. Kind of leads me to wonder, you know, are these considerations different based on, you know, which type of industrial customer you're dealing with? You know, don't steel and cement, for example, have different energy needs so the solutions might look different between them? They absolutely do. And you're mentioning two industries that are really heavy industries. They've been there for a long time. They're used to use CO2 emitting technology for the cement industry and the steel industry. I would say the challenges are higher than for most other. You start already to see some movement there. And again, uh, we see the early adopters making their bets now. Hans, can we take it one step further? Steel and, and cement is an industrial need. What about glass? Glass plays an important role as well. Absolutely. And uh, everything that includes heating up a material will need a lot of energy. And I think uh, we often talk about electricity generation, but equally important for many industrial sectors, and including glass, of course, is the need for heat, high-grade heat. Again, this is something that we can produce in our gas-fired power plants, both electricity and heat, with the mix that the customers need. So again, let's not forget heat and the need for that in industrial processes. You mentioned earlier the regulations and regulators. So can you describe to our audience, who's primarily more North American, what the regulatory environment is and what, you, what you're seeing and facing in, in the European regulatory sphere? What we're seeing uh, in Europe is increasing talks and implementation of CO2 uh, emission permits. That has been tried before, but it turned out that there were too many permits uh, issued, so it didn't really, at the end, lead to too much CO2 emission reduction. This time around, they're really trying to limit the amount of CO2 uh, emission permits on the market and over time also reduce the volume of those permits, thus forcing the price up of those permits which means that if you want to emit CO2, it's going to be 
more and more expensive over time. That's the way it, it's going. And, and personally, I believe that that is, is necessary if you really want to have a change in the, uh, the way that you produce your energy. That's very helpful, Hans. Okay, so what is needed to make this a reality? I think, again, we talked about the regulations and rules and the lawmakers. That's very important. So, so we don't end up with an A and a B team in, in the industry. The other thing is that we, uh, representing the power equipment industry, actually use the experience that we get from all over the world. I mean, we're a truly global company. We see how people implement these kind of energy generation ideas differently in different parts of the world. And we have a task to spread those experiences to other regions in the world. Of course, also, we are, uh, to a large extent, in the same situation as our customers. We have delivered equipment for hundreds of years. We have an installed base out there with our customers that we're servicing and maintaining. So we need to show the path forward. How can you, with the most optimal investment, bring that equipment into the future? By uh, implementing those solutions also in our own operations, we can show the way. And this is why we are in one of our gas turbine plants actually implementing a little mini uh, microgrid for generating hydrogen from solar panels, are trying to uh, take our customers by the hand and lead them into the future, showing what this could look like in the future. All right, fantastic. So you're talking about projects, microgrids, hydrogen, and other sorts of projects. Can you, can you dig a little bit deeper on this? Can you give us some more details on this project? Yeah, sure. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, when we started to see that this was really moving, when I said this, I mean the carbonization focus, uh, we said, why don't we uh, make use of the uh, turbine test facility that we have in one of our plants and build a bit of an experimental plant there? Let's uh, put up solar panels. Let's uh, uh, get one of the uh, electrolyzers there to generate hydrogen from electricity. Let's make use of the waste energy we generate when we test our turbines. Let's see how we can store the hydrogen that we generate and how we can mix that back into the turbine fuel when we test them, which we went away and did. And we're now doing this in cooperation with two European universities and we're getting sponsorship by governments, et cetera. The whole idea about this little microgrid solution is to learn, both that we, we learn ourselves, but also that we bring in customers and other actors in the energy field to experiment on these kind of aspects. These um, challenges are quite new to many, actually most customers. And, and we believe that by having this experimental setup, we can play around with, uh, with many of the uh, aspects of this new energy landscape. So um, I hope uh, we, we get a lot out of this pilot plan. Yeah, and then hydrogen, of course, there's you know, green hydrogen, blue hydrogen, black hydrogen, there's many different variations. And I think we can all agree that green hydrogen produced by renewables is the optimal goal that we all want to sort of achieve, right? But blue hydrogen is produced from natural gas, and it most likely will continue to play a role over the coming years. Is that accurate? And how do you see that playing out? Well, that's a very good point. And uh, thanks for bringing that up, because there's a lot of hype around hydrogen at the moment. If you read newspapers and listen to the news, there seems to be uh, ideas everywhere of how to use hydrogen as, as a fuel. Now, the fact of the matter is that the expansion of renewables is not fast enough produce all the needed hydrogen for all these ideas and needs. Personally, I believe that oil and gas companies play an important role here. I mean, they have access to gas wells. By producing blue hydrogen out of uh, natural gas, I think they can play an important role in bridging the increased need for hydrogen to get the hydrogen economy really up and running. Again, it's of course a bridging strategy, but I think it will be needed for decades 
if we are to be able to get our hands on enough volumes of hydrogen. Tell us more about you know, industrial generation. Do you also see a trend towards more and more distributed energy production for this audience? That trend has been there for a long time, actually for many decades. I mean, if you go back to when many of the early power systems were built, especially maybe in the Western world, they were centralized. I mean, there was big coal-fired power plants and then a lot of transmission lines and distribution lines out to the consumers. Or they were big hydropower plants, again, with long transmission lines. What we're seeing for at least two decades now is definitely trend towards distributed power generation more than centralized. The reason I, I think we see that is that, first of all, this multi-billion dollar project that it means to build a big hydro dam or a big uh, uh, new coal-fired facility is not necessary when you do distribute the power generation. Also, the mere fact that we see a renew renewables popping up everywhere is by definition distributed. Both wind and, and, and solar power are distributed power generation facilities. And of course, there are many aspects here. One is that if you have, for instance, a gas-fired power plant, you will have heat as a byproduct. And if you do that the right amount, you can make use of that heat in industrial processes or maybe in district heating uh, grids, particularly in Europe, Northern Europe. If you have a huge, for instance, a coal-fired power plant, you might not have an offtake for all the heat that you generate. Losses and efficiency increases with uh, distributed power generation in contradiction to the, the old school, which was losses will go down if you have a big central power plant. From what I can tell, we've only been talking for about 20 minutes. I feel like we could spend another 120 minutes just talking about all these topics. So this has been uh, this has been really a rich conversation. The future in the space sure looks bright, and we're so excited to hear about all the ways that you and your team at Siemens Energy are bringing that future into reality. I also hope uh, you'll continue to keep in touch with the Energy Central community and keep us up to date on new developments as they come with future posts and uh, more publications that come out of uh, Siemens on the, on the Energy Central platform. But for now, we want to thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. You can always reach Hans through the Energy Central platform where he welcomes your questions and comments. And on behalf of the entire Energy Central team, thanks to everyone for listening today. Once again, I'm your host, Jason Price. Plug in and stay fully charged in the discussion by hopping into the community at energycentral.com. And we'll see you next time at the Energy Central Power Perspectives Podcast.